Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your hosts, Scott Berry and Joshua Wenner. Hello and welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. My name is Scott Berry. I'm here with my co-pilot, co-counterpart, Joshua Wenner. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. So the last few guys, we've been doing this podcast since uh, I think the middle of 2017. And through these shows, through these experiences, through these shares, we have divulged a lot about our personal experience on how it relates to the topic that we are discussing at hand. And so I thought today would be a lot of fun to really kind of get to know who I am and who Josh is and have a little bit fun, have a little bit of fun with kind of exploring a little bit about our personal side, what we're passionate about, some really fun, silly stuff. So uh, I thought I would dive in and ask Josh a few questions. As a lot of you may or may not know, Josh and I have, God, we met in 2007. So we've been friends for a good, uh, coming up on 12 years now. I think it was March of 2007 when we, uh, when we first met. So, uh, this will be pretty fun to, you know, kind of learn a little bit about each other. So, uh, let me start off with your childhood. Um, where did you grow up and, uh, what was your family life like? I grew up in Reno, Nevada, <clears throat> little, little town by Tahoe. And um, childhood was, I think I had a really good childhood. I grew up, um, you know, my parents have been married now for something like 47 years, uh, something quite a long time. And uh, maybe 49 years. I'm I'm bad with that. But I know, I know the date of the anniversary. And we lived in the same house since I was two, they still live there. And, uh, you know, I grew up really active sports, you know, football, baseball, soccer, basketball, uh, Boy Scouts, you know, just kind of really, really active, uh, running around, um, in a bunch of, bunch of different sports and athletics. Were you, uh, involved in the church at all? No, no. My, um, actually my parents, one of them was Episcopalian, one of them was Presbyterian and they took me to get baptized and the, uh, preacher, I believe is what he'd be called because I've, I've never really been too many and said, I think you should let him go into the world and figure out what he wants to be. So oh, wow. they said, okay. And, um, we didn't have like a practice at church. So no, I wasn't uh, raised with the specific religion or anything growing up. You did mention boy scouts or, or cub scouts. Uh, how long were you, how long were you in that? And, and what was that experience like? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I grew up hunting, fishing, camping, almost I mean, it seems like almost every weekend as a kid. So we were super active outdoors and, uh, you know, we grew up hunting birds and quail and chucker or rampant out in my neck of the woods, um, grew up a lot of fishing and, um, and hunting, hunting, you know, deer, antelope, elk, sheep, all kinds of different things. So, so for me, um, boy scouts was a natural, you know, I did cub scouts and went all the way through and I did boy scouts and all the way through and it was great. You know, you're, out in nature, you're learning different um, techniques, knots, uh, different ways to take care of yourself. Usually your dad goes with you when you're younger um, as you move in the Boy Scouts. I think I even went to Oregon as, as a Boy Scout growing up and super useful experiences, super just, um, I guess, practical survival type, practical applications. And I made it all the way through life, which was one before Eagle, which is the top you can get. And um, the reason I stopped is I had I was doing multiple sports. And as I started to get a little bit older, it just became too hard to manage. I think I was doing two or three sports um, on top of school, on top of uh, Boy Scouts, and I just couldn't manage it all. So something had to give, and I was more passionate about sports than I was about Boy Scouts. So I made it to life, which was one before um, Eagle. Interesting. I'd love to tap into the the sports aspect of your childhood because it sounds like that was something that you were very involved in, had a lot of passion in. Uh, But I just wanted to touch base on... It sounds like, so Reno, for those who don't know Reno, it's near Tahoe and it's, um, I think it's what, like an hour, half hour away from Tahoe, but it's just surrounded by a lot of beautiful nature and there's um, kind of an energy about the people that live in Reno, at least a good chunk of them, that they're just 
kind of ingrained. I know people in Denver are kind of like that too, where just the outdoors is just a little bit more a part of natural community life. And so, uh, as someone who I know that is, you know, looking to foster a family at some point and possibly having kids of their own, how important it is, is it for you to expose your, your kids to the outdoors? And then how important is it for you for them to have easy access, right? Because you're not in Reno anymore. You you are in LA and uh, you are, you know, you are by the beach. I mean, your house is amazing. You have this this epic view of the water. So the the water aspect of it is there, but the, the deep-hearted nature and the camping and all that uh, takes a little bit to get to. So I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts about bringing in a child and their exposure to nature. How important is that to you? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, to me, it's a, it's a 10. Uh, it's not even a question. And, and, um, you know, growing up, even for example, when we go hunting, it was still, I think we would drive four and a half hours to go hunting. So it wasn't a small thing. We would get done right after school on Friday and we would take off for four and a half hours, um, to some of these hunting spots and you're just camping in the middle of nature for Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and then you come back into Sunday. I remember even like proms and a lot of things like that I was gone for, you know? So it's like, um, and you know, there's some of the things that I value most, uh, you know, unfortunately we lost my brother to a heroin overdose and, um, you know, our family going through different processes. One of the things that kept coming up is just, man, I'm so grateful we've got so close. And I think one of the reasons that made us really close is when you're in the middle of nature, with nothing to do. Uh, there's no TV, there's no phones, nothing works out there. There's nothing to do. So you end up telling stories, really getting to know each other. And, uh, I think that's one of the things that I'm most grateful for. So yeah, going forward, um, it's definitely a, an imperative part of my life. And it wasn't just hunting, fishing. We would go to like, uh, this place called Gray Eagle that I grew up with forever as well, which was like more in the mountains and a lot of lush trees in Northern California. A lot of the hunting was like desert where you'd never think you'd want to go camping. It's like, you know, harsh sagebrush, middle of nowhere. Uh, but it's really beautiful. So, so appreciating different parts of nature is, is a big part of what I want and has always been important in the partner that I choose, uh, making sure that we can go camping. And, and cause my mom always went too. it wasn't just, uh, my dad and I, my mom would go, she didn't do any of the hunting, but she liked to just go and walk and be a part of it. And we would all kind of the guys, there's me my dad and my brother would all be the hunters. So Going forward, it's a big part of my life. Um, and it's, um, well, one other note is on the sports side, my dad also coached. So he coached me growing up uh, through sports. He was even the president of Legal Little League at some point. And I got involved and in, was umpiring my brother. And so I really like that component of it. And that's always been something really important to me is to build my life in a way where I have the business success that I want and the freedom that I want, but I also want to be heavily involved. So not just getting my kids involved in sports and outdoors, but taking them and, and teaching them like I was taught. I think you bring up a really good point. I had a, you know, very, it's interesting how many parallels that we, that we do have. We do have a lot of differences, but you know, one of the parallels that we do have is I was always ingrained in a lot of nature, um, just like you and, um, and also the sports. And I think part of it is just not only the, the aspects of those particular modalities like being outdoors and camping and hunting or whatever it is that you're doing or the sports, but it's also the integration of family, of connection, of father, son, of, you know, um, even when you brought your mom and your brother, um, involved in those activities, there's something about the communal family way of life that it just wasn't being in the outdoors. It was, it just kind of created the, uh, the backdrop, if you will, for, um, you know, for those environments. So I'm sure you love playing sports, um, but I'm, I'm sure you love probably the, the family aspect of it as well. And you may have not even been aware of that at the time. Yeah, I think you're right. I think at the time you just don't even know that's your world. So you're just in the world and not really knowing any different. It wasn't until I got older that I really began to appreciate uh, what it was like, you know, because I didn't have as many opportunities to get in trouble. You know, I was gone a lot. So, um, and again, I, again, we really bonded over it. So again, yeah. and we had a couple families who went with us. So I love your component of the community around it. You really do bond with some of the, the people that you are with because you're in nature hanging out. And what, what sport was that? Or what sports did you play? You know, I, I did everything when I was younger, but I started baseball, football, soccer, basketball was when I first started when I was young. And then uh, what stuck with me is the the baseball and football. So I played both baseball and football since I was a little kid. I even remember in the summers, like if I did all stars, I, I we had this vacation we'd go on 
that was an hour away. My mom would literally drive me an hour every day back to practice to show you like what it was like. And then an hour back at the end of practice to stay on our vacation. And I did summer leagues. A lot of times with baseball, I would play year round. So I would have, you know, the the season and then they had like a spring or summer league that I would play. So I was really active involved in primarily baseball and football were the two things I did. And I did those all the way through high school. Um, and, um, some of them even summer leagues, uh, as well as with the baseball. Oh, beautiful. And is there anything, any, anything else about your childhood that, that like pops up that pops up, like, as you're kind of like thinking about these experiences that you're having with your mom, anything fun, any, any anything kitschy, anything that kind of pops up that you'd like to share? No, I think, I think that really encompasses it. It's just, you know, I remember there's just a lot of time together. You know, I remember growing up on the boat fishing. I remember, I remember these very vivid moments of being in nature and being mm. with family and sitting around a campfire, you know, cause when you're in nature, you know, the day ends early, you're not yeah. out like it is here. There's no electronics. You know, a lot of times we're in a little trailer and you're sitting around a fire telling stories. When the sun goes down, you cook dinner. And um, a lot of times you have a drink or two. I mean, as I got older, not when I was younger, but, and then you're in bed and then you're up early and, and, um, you know, you're all sharing a little trailer and you get really close and there's fights, there's family disputes and, you know, quarrels that go on. But at the end of the day, I think it makes you really close because you're, you get in your present and you have time to interact with each other. And that's, you know, one of the things I know we talk about a lot is love languages. I think that's what a big part of me developing quality time was because I think that's in my family, what was primarily valued was the time spent it wasn't necessarily yeah. other yeah. stuff. It was just spending quality time together. Yeah. And then from there, you went to college and then you uh, enlisted into the military. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so I, uh, after that, I went to school. I actually had a, an offer to play football at uh, uh, North Dakota. And um, Oh, wow. I, I didn't hurt, know that. That's yeah, interesting. I, I hurt my neck. I kept, uh, I did what you're not supposed to do in football and kind of put my head down when I'd hit. So I was middle linebacker and I played two positions. I played middle linebacker and a running back for a number for my first two years. And then I got moved up to varsity and I played linebacker the whole time, which I loved. Uh, and I was a smaller guy compared to some of the other guys. I'm only six foot. I think I was five ten towards high school. And uh, but I still was playing those good roles. And I got an offer, but it was cold and I, my neck was hurting. And I just decided, you know what? I'm probably just going to injure myself if I'm not going to go pro. And so what I ended up doing is I just decided to stay local. Um, you know, I think I had about, my parents started to put some money together. So I had two grand in an account, which is some money towards it that I was really grateful for. But um, at, at the end of the day, I had to, to come up with some cash to pay for school. And so um, I was working, I went to, I went to UNR, which was local in Reno, University of Nevada, Reno. And I worked something like two or three jobs. I had bartending jobs. I had, I worked for the hospital in the morning. So I was super kind of militant and always working since I think I was 13 or 14. And, um, and, you know, I think my first job was bus, a bus boy. And I always kind of big waited tables or bartended or did, did something um, to make some cash and bartended, I guess, after I was 21. But to start, I was a waiter and, um, and I worked at the hospital ahead of time. And then my freshman year, I joined a fraternity uh, called SAE. And uh, I was in that and lived in the house uh, for six. Let's see, I was in college for six years. Four of the years I lived in the fraternity. Uh, and was really active in there. I did everything from um, um, social chair, vice president. I was president of my fraternity. And then I did what was called uh, IFC, which is organizes all the fraternities. I was president mm. of IFC. So I even ran, ran that. So I kind of shifted from being heavily involved in sports prior to college. And then when I went to college, I was just totally burned out of sports altogether. And I just kind of closed that door and I got really involved and I wanted to be a politician, interesting enough. Mm. And so I got heavily involved in these different structures, running structures, um, because I wanted to make the system better. And um, I even got a bunch of politicians in Nevada elected in Reno. I got involved in the campaigns and then it was uh, at my, and then I also got in the military. So part of the military was I wanted to serve and part of it was positioning for actually the, the political route. Uh, it's like Nevada is like people I was born and raised and from there. So it was just a good positioning. And, um, I did the air national guard, which was like a weekend warrior. So one weekend a month I did guard duty and, uh, and it also paid for school. So that's how I ended up paying for school. The guard, the military paid for my school, majority of it. I think I walked out with 20,000 in, in loans. So the couple grand my parents gave me plus the 20,000, um, in school loans and then the rest of, and it took me six years was all covered by the military. So it was a really big benefit for me to go to school and pay for it. 
Um, and, uh, and yeah, and the, the fraternity was a great place. I got a little bit of discounted rent. I held positions and got free rent. So I just, I think in general, when I look back on it, I was always kind of hustling. I was always working two, 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 three jobs. I was always very involved in, and really active in holding roles or positions and whatever I was doing. And then like I boxed one year and I just was pretty, uh, so I boxed for university in Nevada, Reno, and I would just kind of take on new things, um, as I was doing it. And the big shift moment came for me after I was president, we had the number one house on campus from like a sports trophy. There's all these things you can get. And, um, I wrote a manual I was super detailed about it. I wrote a manual and I gave it to the guy that was the guy that was supposed to take over from me. And he basically didn't open the manual and, uh, you have like a different, either semester, each semester you're reelected. And we got, we got uh, suspended next semester. And I was so disheartened oh, wow. uh, that that's when I was like, I don't want to be in politics anymore. I'm going to go into some system and make it better. And then as soon as I leave, somebody else is going to come in and ruin it. Uh, or oh, change interesting. It. And so that's when I massively pivoted and said, what system can I go make better that won't change? And that's where entrepreneurship was born for me. So it was like, oh, if I create a company or an environment, I can create my own company that I'm passionate about, create my own systems and structure that I think work effectively, and then nobody can come in and fix it. And that's what massively shifted me um, into that direction. The whole aspect of you getting, I, I keep going back to the whole aspect of you getting um, you know, pulled away from a, a, a physical injury for you playing football. Do you ever wonder what your life would be like if you had actually kind of gone into a different direction and actually didn't get hurt and actually went down the sports path a little bit more? Do you... Cause I would imagine at the time you were probably a little bit bummed and, and you wish you would have went down that direction. Um, it's interesting to think now it's like, wow, do you wish that you would have had that opportunity or you bless that you didn't have that opportunity? Yeah. You know, I think it was just kind of meant to be that way. I, I, I always loved sports, but I think I, I'd played since I was so little. I think I was really kind of burned out. And when I look back now, I wasn't, uh, I didn't train like I needed it. Like I train harder now than I did when I was in high school. I think I, I was some of the peer group peer group is so important. And some of my peer group back then we were more into smoking weed and screwing off. I mean, I remember running down before practice and smoking weed before practice. And I just didn't have, uh, I didn't surround myself with the right environment to succeed in the athletic environment. Like I had other buddies at other schools where their training program, they focused day and night on training. And that was like winning. And I think I was a little bit more screwing around and, and, and again, looking back now, I wasn't doing the training I needed to succeed. And if I was already good, I could have been really good if I really put in the right type of training. Uh, and so, you know, that's, I think looking back, I think that's probably what, what put it in that direction. Um, and I'm grateful for the direction that I've had now, because it's been this long journey around entrepreneurship. Uh, but yeah, totally different, totally different perspective. And, And in regards to the, the military experience, you know, I, I ask myself this question all the time about my my college education. In some regards, I feel like my college education helped me, but in some regards, I feel like it absolutely hindered me in in a lot of ways. And um, I feel like in a way that it 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 didn't help me be as creative and be as much of a risk taker as I thought I that I thought I could be. And in this in the same breath, I felt like college is good for some people in the fact that it gives them a little bit of discipline. I mean, just the fact that you graduate college means you could actually see something out, you know, whether it's four years or six years. Um, I'm curious on just what your thoughts are of the military experience and what is your suggestion? So I, as you know, and I've talked about this on the podcast, I mentor um, my mentee who is going to be 22 in a couple months. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a ripe age. I might be a little bit old for people that are thinking about going into the military. What is your, what is your parameters of telling someone to go into the military? Because I, I believe, I'm sure that there's a bunch of pros and cons for the experience itself. Yeah. You know, it was, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I was in my fraternity and one of the older guys that I respected and looked up to was talking about going in. And at the time he was wanting to be in politics. I was wanting to be in politics. So it aligned. And, uh, and he talked about, you know, going in and, and so I just jumped another buddy of mine that I pledged with in my pledge class wanted to be a pilot was his dream. And we ended up pledging together and, uh, or we ended up, uh, joining together. And I did, you know, there's a lot of branches. There's the Marines, there's the army, there's the air force. And then there's the, 
the guard or the reserve uh, for them. And when I looked at all of them, you know, there's there's different branches. Each of them are different. When I looked at the air guard, it seemed like I got all the benefits of paying for school, uh, but a little bit less, uh, a little bit more control over my destiny of where I would go and where I would end up. And I could also stay local to Reno. And so there's a lot of reasons I looked into it. Uh, once I went in, it was a totally different world than I'd anticipated. I mean, they really teaches you structure. I mean, they shave your head and it's a pretty, um, pretty traumatizing entry into it. Uh, and um, I really stepped up. I mean, when I went through it, I was dorm chief in my, in, in my hell week and screaming and yelling. I mean, I took on the, I, I went into it knowing that I wanted to lead. Um, and I was, I went, I went in when I was 20. A lot of guys are 17, 18. I was a little older. I'd already been through my fraternity. I'd been through a couple of personal development things. And so um, I kind of stepped up and I was what's called the dorm chief who runs my unit when I, when I went through it and I got three ribbons, I got all three ribbons, which was like marksman and um, honor grad. And so I really took ownership on it when I went through. So for me, it was really healthy. Um, it did provide the structure that I needed to succeed because I mean, they tell you what to do from start to finish. And I was able to take that out and implement it into my life. Uh, some, a lot of times they say the highest standard somebody will ever have is when they're in, let's call it the military, because they're following really high standards. Um, a lot of times people that are in it, it gives you these different principles. And I think the most uh, transformational thing that I experienced was for the first time when I was in it, it made me realize what, what I didn't realize was, was a freedom. Like going in before, I just did what I wanted. And then you go in and you have to cut your hair a certain length and uh, you can't have facial hair. And there's all these rules uh, and so for the first time I was like, wow, it's a rule. I can't just grow facial hair or I had used to have long hair. I had to cut my hair short and keep it short for six years. Like if you get in trouble, you get in trouble under two sets of law, regular law, and then under the military law. So there's, there's all these different, um, experiences that, you know, when I, when I see people saluting, I have a whole different respect for it. And then for me, what added to it is towards the very end, I got activated and, um, I went and served in operation Iraqi freedom and that really made it real for me, you know, serving one weekend a month, um, you get to learn the military. You're, you're more doing preparation a lot of times, almost like getting ready for if something were to happen and constantly training. And then when you get activated, you apply everything to use and all the training we'd been done. Um, I got really lucky, uh, right as we got activated, I was supposed to go to Iraq and I was what's in called air transportation. So anything to do, if you think of moving planes, anything to moving planes, people, cargo is what I was focused on. And um, in that, uh, what they call FSA, AFAC, um, they basically, um, it's a really highly, because the planes are the first thing you set up, like your, your airstrip and your mobility when there's a, a war or when there's something going on. So one of the, the first things they did is um, um, we they wanted us to go. And the day before we went, they wanted somebody faster and they grabbed another unit and sent them. So we actually went to Germany like the day before we were supposed to go to Iraq and we got really lucky. So uh, I was in Germany is where I got activated to stay, uh, served at Ramstein air force base. Um, but, but then when you're working, you're working, you know, 12 hour days, uh, sometimes four or five uh, days a week. And, um, you know, and, and like our shift was four to four. So I'm working 4 PM to 4 AM. So again, you're kind of, again, back from a big change of choosing your destiny, what you want, you're under a structure and a system that makes all the decisions for you. And all you're doing is, and then you're under another frustrating thing with it is, Somebody could be above you because they have rank, but they're not necessarily a good leader or mm. they don't really know how to run something effectively. And there's nothing you can say or do. So there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of that. Then you see, you see this big, huge system that is broken in a lot of ways, but it's the system. And so again, there, but there's, but I will tell you is the culture there. Uh, people stand up for the culture. They believe in the culture. Uh, there's the, the really strong, effective culture that works. And, uh, and, uh, so what do you mean by culture? Uh, culture I, I, I know that I know the culture within the military, but what aspects of it, you know, it's just like, uh, there's a lot of mutual respect for, for people in the military, like anybody in the military, there's typically a respect because, uh, you know, I remember being over there and people, um, you know, when we were being activated to go to this war, you're being activated. You can't really have a, a disposition to the war. You know, it's like you're there and you're deciding I'm going to fight for our country. If you say, why are we at war? You're at odds with yourself. You can't be congruent with what you're doing. So I remember we stopped in Berkeley mm. for training mm. and we went out to dinner one night, a group of us and a bunch of people, I mean, Berkeley's very liberal, were arguing with us against the war. And it's like, 
you know, it's just one of the hardest things that I, uh, most people don't have any perspective um, and they're not in it and they wonder why soldiers fight. Like we got in this big brawl and, and I remember thinking to myself like, or we, no, we almost got in a brawl and we got somehow got out of there right before it. But man, you take a bunch of people that are risking and that's when we still thought we were going to Iraq, um, you know, to fight for our country and we may die. And then people are fighting you on this war, like thinking it's stupid. And like, mm. it's just like, you take such offense to it. Cause you're like, here, I'm going over there for you and for you to have this opinion. And it, there's just a lot of, so you see things totally differently. You see a lot of disrespect. You see a lot of not under just, just arrogance from ha- having no understanding of what it's like and, and what it's like to be there. So I went very conservative when I was in the military and my parents are very liberal. So we oh, couldn't wow. even talk politics because I didn't have a choice. I was like, I'm here. This is my decision. This is who I am. So this is what I believe, or I can't even be doing, I couldn't be congruent with who I was. Wow. I mean, talk about a conflict. If, if you're having to go over there, the only way that you can almost survive is if you really put your whole heart and soul into this mission that you have to do. And if you don't believe it, not just from an intellectual standpoint, uh, standpoint but from your, uh, from a soul level that like, I am here because it's the right thing to do on a soul level. It's like, how do you even do your work? You know, how do you even show up and, 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 and go against, you know, your belief system? So you almost have to really align yourself with, with the belief in the direction that the military is serving. Well, yeah. And, and, and now that I've gotten much deeper, I mean, I was really lucky. I wasn't in a combat zone. I, I mean, we had, uh, in Ramstein is the primary base when there's what they call HR human remains. When somebody dies, they, they, they put a flag over a body and then they load them on, on plane C one thirties or whatever the plane C fives or whatever's coming. And then they, they land in Ramstein air force base. So you, so we were there in that front point when everything happened and it's very beautiful what they do. There's a lot of respect. So plane lands, you get to know what's going on and you show up and you salute. So there's a salute process that happens. Um, but you're, you know, seeing this door open and you're seeing this plane filled with all these caskets, essentially with flags over them. And it's a very somber moment because you're reading the roster or I forget, I'm blanking what it's called right now, but uh, you're reading basically the manifest for who's on and you're reading all their names and a lot of contractors and, and different branches. And you're, you're kind of seeing it there. So it was, we got that experience, but I wasn't in the actual war zone um, you know, fighting, losing, uh, amongst friends. And I've had a number of men come to my retreats. Uh, I had two in my last one that were combat vets and man, talk about taking it to another level. Uh, one was a bomb bomb squad vet and, um, he had a dog and he would go in by himself and he literally had to tell himself that he was dead because the only way he could walk into buildings was he was going in where bombs were. So he had to tell himself every day that he was dead and that he was doing it for our country or one of the other men, because you're walking around, he was a, a Marine. The other guy was army. This guy was a Marine. He was walking into minefields every day. And that's how a lot of uh, veterans got injured or, or hurt really bad is from these mines. So he had to literally tell himself every day, my legs are gone. My legs are gone. So, so again, I think putting yourself in the pers- perspective of the soldier who's going into battle and how do you get your psychology to risk doing that type of thing? And you tell yourself, I'm doing it for my country a, a day in and day in and again, and then you come back and you feel somebody disrespects that. That's where you see a lot of this anger. You yeah. see a lot of people that happen um, because, and again, they, they have to do a lot of work to decompress, but it's a, it is a mindset shift. And again, that's how you get yourself through it is you think you're doing it for your country. And that's a lot of times what's been sold. Um, that's why you join. I mean, there's a lot of people that join to join. There's people that join for a number of reasons, but it's, I got, I definitely say this. I have so much respect for the veteran uh, military and veterans. I actually include a, a veteran at every one of my retreats complimentary um, just because I believe in it so much. And, um, and it, it does, it teaches you structure. It teaches you. So if I had it up to me, I, I think everybody, like in most countries, you have to do a year or two in, in the military. And I think it's really helpful. I really do. I think it takes, mm-hmm. teaches structure. I think it teaches you how to take care of yourself. Some of the basic fundamentals that a lot of society doesn't have, it takes away your freedom for a moment. So you can actually appreciate it. Sometimes until we know what we have, we don't get it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think it'd be highly beneficial. If people could do a year or two, sometimes a four or six year. And right now people are still deploying on a regular basis. So it's a little tricky right now. Uh, but I think if there was a way we could do it like other countries and do a year or two, I think it would be highly beneficial if everybody had to do a year or two. Yeah. There's, there's, there is something about uh, structure um, that I think could be really beneficial for, especially for that, that, that age group. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. So I want to, 
pivot a little bit and um, kind of bring us up to date a little bit. Um, right now in your life, or so let me reframe that. Uh, probably in the last five years, or even in the present time frame, tell me about two or three passions that you have right now that you just absolutely love doing. That's not related to your work. That's not related to your practice or your, um, you know, your practice or your job. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't say I have as much of them right now because so much of them are focused on here. I'd say a lot of them are simple things like camping or Burning Man or, um, you know, going on going on more getaway trips. So still outdoor based. Um, I'd say passions are still doing things. I mean, I'm, I went snowboarding a couple weeks ago. I'm going again this weekend. So I think you know, doing getting some outdoor sports in, uh, doing some camping trips in, new experiences, travel. That's more what I value now is experiences and quality time with with people that I love, whether it be good friends, uh, family, and exploring unknown new places. I'd say it's probably my my greatest passion. That and spending quality time with my cats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so what what would you say? What was one of the biggest investments that you've made last year? Let's say um, so. Let's do a material item. Best investment for a material item under a hundred dollars. Can you think of anything? Yeah, best investment was my watch. I have this, uh, uh, this, it's a, just a simple G-Shock watch, military watch. Uh, it's all black, but I love it. I have it on 24 seven. I have, I have a couple really nice watches. Interesting. I, I just couldn't wear them everywhere else. And I like, for me, I just like to, I can, I use it quite a bit for timing myself, depending on what I'm doing. So, um, I, I really like this item. It's a, for a material item under a hundred bucks. It was great. I wear it every day. And that's what I, you know, I, I wear it every day and I really enjoy it. So I wear it and I can get it wet. So I don't, I don't take it off. So it pretty much stays with me 24 seven. And what about over a hundred dollars for a material item? Over a hundred dollars, I'd say mix between three things. Um, one, it's either mixed between my standup desk. I have a standup desk and with it, I have two, two monitors and I use that every day with my work. Uh, so I'm, I really value that. Or the other thing that I would say is my, so it's two items. Uh, I bought a new bed, uh, and that new bed has really been helpful mm. for sleeping because uh, one of the challenges I run into is sleeping many times. So I'd say those would be my two items that are over 100, either my stand-up desk, double monitors, a whole new Mac setup, or my my bed. You know, I have to say on a side note for that, um, I, I really wanted to get a good bed when I moved into my house. Um, God, this was... Oh God, almost 20 years ago now. And I bought a Tempur-Pedic at the time. And I have to say that has been one of my best investments. Um, and the Tempur-Pedic is still just, it's its exactly the same as when I bought it way back then. It's its the comfiest bed that Michelle's ever been on. And I have to say having an incredibly comfy bed because sleep is so important to your energy levels and your energy levels have such an impact on how you face the world that I, I cannot recommend having good sleep and good sleep aids just for that fact. Yeah, I highly agree. I mean, that's, I wasn't sleeping a lot and it's really made a big difference, which is super helpful. Okay. And then what about a non-material item could be under or over a hundred dollars, anything non-material? Yeah. Non-material item. Um, Again, I'd say experiences are super yeah. going. And um, I think about some of the things, and it's not even, let's say, in the next, not last year, but man, I, I, I um, after my brother died, I took one of my brother's shirts and turned it into a teddy bear. Uh, and then I flew home surprised my mom and gave it to my mom. And that's been mm. you know, giving her that gift and sharing it has still been probably one of my favorite things I've ever done, non material. Uh, I guess it's still quite a material, but it's not for me. It's more of a gift I gave or an experience I gave. And uh, I still think of that, on, and I, she still sleeps with it and takes it places. Uh, oh, I love that. Definitely under hundred. Um, and I'd say on the on the greater sense, you know, same in the same note, um, getting to take my parents on a, a trip was super fulfilling. I actually did it two years in a row because I had really good years, and I took them on a trip abroad, and and that felt really good to give back and to give. Uh, it was probably the most expense, most money I've spent on almost anything, <laughs> like a lunatic. Uh, but I gave them the, a first class experience and myself a first class experience with them. Um, and uh, I did this in two years ago. So uh, 2017 or 2016, excuse me. And that was uh, so a couple years ago, but it was su- still super fulfilling um, experience to be able to give something they'd never do for themselves. 
um, and take them out of the country. They hadn't been out of the country besides Mexico. So that mm, I, I love that. It sounds like something you're, you're really proud of. So that, that was actually going to lead me into one of my next questions. Um, can you name maybe one or two other things that you, when you look back at the totality of your life that you're just really proud of? Yeah, I'd say, uh, definitely those two things, uh, mm-hmm. are, are, I took them on two trips and I call it their RRI return on investment. And, uh, those are definitely two of my favorites. And it's, it's funny. I have moments around those. There was a moment on, uh, this trip. I took them to Costa Rica when I took them into a, we're there for Costa Rica. I extend the trip uh, for New Year's and it's expensive too. So I just got over it all. And, uh, I found this, met some cool guys, found this hostel and, uh, my parents are like 70, 71 and, uh, hostels are typically like 17, 18 year olds, you know, maybe like maybe yep. 20. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're like, come on for New Year's New Year's Eve party. So I walk up and there's this big hostel and there's a bunch of people dancing. And I'm like, hey, is it cool to bring my parents? They're like, yeah, bring them. So I go down. I'm like, come on, guys. They're like, I don't think so. They're like, come on, come on. So we go up and they walk up there with me. And everybody's, again, 17 to 22 years old. And it's New Year's. And all of a sudden, they're cranking music. And my parents get – and everybody's like, oh, it's so cool. Your parents are here. Right? And the guys that I, I'd met were really cool and made them feel really warm. Yeah. And a couple minutes later, I turn around and they're bumping some music. And I happened to look around and I, it's, I got in sidetrack and the whole circles formed around them and my mom and dad are dancing and everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was the coolest thing. I'd seen their smiles on their face. Like, like for me, cause it, it was a lot to get them there. I mean, I, I, I bought all of our tickets. I took care of, you know, all the travel. And then I decided to stay for new year's like a lunatic for some reason. I'm like we're staying and I rebooked all our tickets and rebooked hotels. I think I was an extra thousand or something, just changing what we did. And uh, I remember that moment was like, ah, everything was worth that. Cause I'll remember that specific moment to the day I die of like that, you know? So again, I think that's it. I think there's some proud moments like that where, you know, I got to share and give them an experience where they felt like kids again and, and were celebrated. So I think that's a really proud moment. Uh, as I've gotten um, into deeper into my legacy work, I think a lot of um, at the end of this year, I was reflecting and, man, I have a lot of really proud moments of thinking of holding space as people have some transformations and seeing them, um, take new, new paths, even though they're doing the work, I'm a, I'm a conduit or catalyst. Uh, but, but witnessing that and feeling really proud that, um, and I think tying it back to my brother. So feeling, um, as tar as tough as this journey has been, it's been a blessing as well. And, um, um, and then I'd say the last thing is like, I'm making a lot of progress. Um, it felt really good to, even though there's still a long way to go, um, you know, just reflecting on the film and the different projects that I've been creating. I think a, a lot of, they're my projects. So I've invested a lot of money and even though it's been exhausting looking at how much I did have in the bank and how much I've spent to get some of these projects up and running, there's also a deep sense of pride and accomplishment feeling like I'm, I'm having the, the courage and the balls, if you will, uh, to create my own shit. And, and as uncomfortable as it is, and is like, I was really good, a lot of money in the bank and no debt. And now I've taken on a little bit of debt and drained a lot of my savings. And even though it's uncomfortable and I'm, my goal this year is to kind of get back to where I was, um, it's still, if I look at what I'm proud of, I'm proud of that I had the courage to to risk it on me. Because uh, in the past, I would always risk it on everybody else. And um, feels mm-hmm. really good to have the courage to risk it on myself now. And it shows that I've come a long way um, over the years and that I can, you know, and whether or not it works, <laughs> I'm just proud of myself for for having the courage to, to risk it on me, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's just a, you know, a lot of the proudest moments, I think you start to see parallels in, you know, and just what you said just really hit home for me that it's, it's usually the experience that you're having of you stepping into something that's uncomfortable. I mean, we're, we're proud that we faced a fear and we're able to like move forward despite the uncomfortability of it. And um, very proud to see who we became as a person in the process. And then also very proud of the effect that our work in our, in our efforts, right? Not our easy efforts, but our, but our difficult efforts and our, and our very scary moments of stepping into the fire efforts um, pay back in terms of the reflections that you're getting with, you know, your fellow brothers or your parents or whoever it happens to be. And I, and I, I see a, a thread, if you will, uh, when people answer this question, it, it usually kind of falls under that category of stepping into some type of fear and the effect that it had on other people and then the effect it had on them 
as a person in, in, in who they became. Uh, any tattoos? Yes, I have a tattoo on my calf. Uh, one of my best friends, Adrian, uh, committed suicide. And um, I took her cat because she loved her cat, which is funny because now I have cats and there's all this cat energy around me. But um, this is way back, way back a long time ago. And I took her cat and I got it dipped in ink, her paw print, and put it on my calf. And then some words around it that say, to give love, strength, and happiness is how I moved through that one because uh, mm. I'm really close to her. Yeah, and um, and then the second one was the first one I got when I was eighteen. And it's an hourglass with the sand broken running out, and to me, it used to stand for um, um, there's like times running out. You know, live your life to the fullest. And now I've shifted it um, as I've gotten older because I was really extreme in the past, and now I've I've shifted a lot to uh, timeless. You know, uh, things are timeless, and surrendering the time to be present in the moment. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Are you looking to get any more? Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, um, I've been uh, eyeing down like a half sleeve or maybe even a full sleeve at some point. Um, and I have a couple different artists, uh, picked out. I'm just, just kind of waiting and feeling into it. Still. I change. I had a whole back piece lined up for a while and decided that wasn't in flow anymore. And so I'm just picking things, things like that, but I'll definitely be getting some more. It's just a matter of how bad I go, <laughs> how deep I go down the road. Yeah. Um, so if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that, um, you know, Josh, I mean, even in this conversation that Josh is not one of these guys that you would typically call lazy, um, and that, uh, <laughs> that has a problem of getting shit done. Um, I think, um, the question for a lot of that type of personality isn't getting stuff done, but is it, is it pointed in the right direction? Um, you always seem to be kind of an A type, always, a a big, a big go-getter. Um, what, uh, what is one or two things that you feel, um, hold you back at times? Like, like, because you are such a, you know, such a go-getter and for a lot of people, they, they don't have, um, that type of motivation. Their motivation is like, I've got all these great ideas, but I just can't get off my ass to actually do anything. You know, I just can't, uh, take the action and the momentum. And you always seem to do that. And so, you know, if I could just get a little bit real and vulnerable with you for a minute, um, you know, what would you say are some of the things that, that maybe, um, hold you back? Yeah. Great question. You know, uh, I would say mine, it's in, it's in the, well, two, two things I'll say, uh, I'm always pretty hard on myself that I'm still not doing enough. So, so even though I take a lot of action in a lot of areas, uh, I'm, I'm still pretty hard in a lot of areas that there's always more that I could do. So uh, I'd say that's one of the areas is I, I, when I, when my first instinct is, well, I could be more effective with my time. Um, and then the second area that I look at is, is so I, one organization, I'd say I'm extremely bad at organization. Um, and even though I'm really, so it's funny, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I'd say I'm bad at structure. Some other people would look at me and say, I'm probably overly structured. Uh, and, uh, but I'm a little manic. I'm a little like, uh, all over the place, if you will, at times. So I have projects and things. And, and so when I have my structure in place and things are running tight, it's like a well, 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 or well, oiled chip, like a well-oiled chip. And, uh, well, then I start to kind of turn the volume up a little bit and things get out of control. And a lot of times I like hurry up and throw things in a bag and run out the door. And I think I like this. Uh, I think as I'm getting older, I realize I think I kind of a little bit addicted to that energy. Uh, of that manic energy. And so that's one area I'd say that I struggle with is I really value the people that can be really structured and sim- a little bit more simple and everything's always has its place in it. The time is taken to put it back in its place uh, almost more religiously where for me it gets a little manic and then I come down the manic and reorganize and then it bursts again. That was one. I'd say the second area is now that I have a relationship, uh, I'm really starting to see how um, – how to describe this, um, where I love working and I work all the time. And a lot of times weekends, I'm now seeing that it's like, I have to make room for a relationship. And, um, so I guess an area that I struggle with is finding the balance. Um, mm. uh, and how do I do everything that I want to do and still grow all these different projects that I want to do and also have a fulfilling relationship where I'm super present. Um, because my tendency is I love all the projects and they're super fun and I want to drive them all the time. And I'm realizing already that's not going to be the case. I have to create a lot of space to be present. Um, and so I'd say that's my next area is how do I find time to balance? How do I find that right flow of balance? 
um, is my next, my next piece. And, yeah. and also saying no, yeah. that's another, I really have to practice that. Uh, cause I get really excited and go and look for all how I can. I don't always take as much time to really reflect on how it's going to affect the projects I currently have in place and what may be affected by it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting too. And I would imagine there's a bunch of people that can relate to what I'm about to say is there's times when I'll bring up some of the, the, the things that I feel that I sabotage and that I feel like I hold myself back and I will get reflections from people all the time saying, I would not have guessed that. Right. So when you say I lack structure or, you know, there's, there's certain areas in which, you know, you have to maybe put a little bit more attention on because it's not as natural to you. Uh, there are things that like, when I look at you, I'm just like, I would have never have guessed that, you know, it's, it's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's funny how it works. And I think, yeah. I guess that's, what's funny is that I look at it and go, I see all the, like, Oh, I have a box here that hasn't been organized or I see, you know, I think that's where my mind goes to is like, something gets a little crazy and then I'm like, where's this stuff at? And I wish I had more time to go through and reorganize. I guess that's where my mind goes to. And at the same time, like everything's on a calendar, everything's super rigid and structured. So I think there's just, well, I think sometimes even maybe what we're good at, we see where we could be even better. And maybe that's where that comes from, you know? Well, And that's just it because it's all relative, right? And when someone looks at you, it's, they've got a definition, a set point, a benchmark, if you will, on, you know, what it means to be structured or whatever. But we're feeling not based on where we are relative to other people, but we're based on relative to where we think we need to be or where we should be or where we want to be. And so, um, so as you start looking into the future, I brought this up before, but I lost my father recently and, uh, which I felt was, was pretty young, but he was 73, which is, I think almost exactly in which the average American man passes away. I think it's 73, 74. So this whole, idea of, you know, where I want to be in the next 10, 20 years, as I start to move into retirement, as I start to move into more of my legacy work and, um, not necessarily from an egoic plate, but like, what, how do you want to be remembered? Like, what's the work, what's the offering, what's the outlay, what's the, your core mission that you want to kind of leave an imprint on the world. So as you start to think about that, I'll ask you this, you know, where would you like to be or have you thought about where you might want to be in the next 20, 10, 20 years as you start to do um, a little bit more of your, your legacy work? Is it something where you feel like you want to slow down a little bit? Do you want to ramp up? Do you want more of a bigger reach? Uh, have you thought about where you want to move into in the next, you know, in the next 20 years, 10, 20 years? Yeah, great question. I, I'd say um, in the next 10, 20 years, a lot of the structure that I'm building, I have frameworks and, and systems that uh, I have more train the trainer programs that I'm doing. And I'm more content writer, speaker, um, author. Um, I've, you know, next 10, 20 years, I'm spending time with my family, coaching my kids, you know, outdoors, uh, travel, um, exploration, and the rest of my time spent, you know, researching, writing, reading, uh, and, and creating content and leading, leading workshops or speaking. So it's same note that I'm, that I'm already started in. It's just, I have frameworks in place where I'm training other people to take them to, because right now I'm doing it all. I'm taking it to the fire department or the police department and building the initial infrastructure. But the goal is that I have frameworks where I train the trainer and other people could take it into their systems. And, um, I'm more architecting the content, spending time with family and the systems are in place to really make a difference. And then I think, um, also there's, uh, I have grief centers. So I think that's the two models. I have grief centers. I have this content around emotional resilience, uh, techniques and training that are spread out throughout the world and a uh, number of books that I've written and I'm spending quality time with my family. Uh, I'd say that's definitely the vision and uh, family and good friends. Um, and, um, that's definitely the vision and uh, maybe a place in SoCal and a place in Tahoe. So you'd want to keep both. You want to be yeah. a place in the city where there's lots of energy and you want a place a little bit more nested in nature. Yeah. And I think the the place in the city is more of my daily place. And then whether it's in Tahoe or Idaho, there's somewhere it's actually a retreat center. So it's a, it's a getaway, but it's also a place where I can go hold retreats and it's got all the cool tools, you know, the, the cold baths, the showers, all the sauna, all the fun stuff. Um, so definitely a resort or a retreat somewhere. So as we, uh, before we kind of wind this down, um, on our, uh, on our chat with Josh here, uh, I'd like to do go through some super fast rapid fire questions. And, um, you know, these are just super quick answers. So whatever comes top of mind for you. 
All right. Cool. Uh, you a dog or cat person? Cat. Okay. Uh, both, but only with both. Oh, no, both is fine. Okay. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, neither. Hmm. If you could go back in time and travel to any time period, what would it be? Uh, great question. I'd be in the now. I wouldn't change. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a driver are you? Scale of one to 10, 10 is a good driver? Yep. I'd say like a seven. Six. And do you love driving? Yeah, I enjoy it. Okay. Um, favorite holiday? Favorite holiday is Christmas, Christmas time. Are you an early or late riser? Meaning, do you, do, you, do you get a lot of your energy in the morning or at night? I uh, used to be night, now morning. Now you're morning. Okay. Uh, favorite city you could see yourself living in outside of California? Tahoe. Hmm. Texting or talking? Uh, voice notes. Hmm. Hybrid. Okay. <laughs> favorite workout routine? Favorite workout routine is gym. Any nicknames? No. And what age do you want to retire? Uh, I like to look that I'm already retired. (laughs) 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 Not financially yet, but uh, as far as work, this is what I'd like to do for the rest of my life. Mm, I love that. Uh, Last question. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or the ability to speak to animals? Man, that's a tough one. I'd say speak every language in the world. I feel like I already speak to animals in a good way. I feel like I'd do a lot better speaking with humans if I learned that. Yeah, beautiful. All right, great. Uh, well, thank you so much. We appreciate you sharing and, and, and being vulnerable. We'll go ahead and close it off for now. Josh, thanks again. We appreciate your, uh, you know, your, your candidness. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys, with deep love and respect. And we'll see you guys on the, the next episode. you enjoyed this show we would be so grateful if you left a review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts this helps us out immensely thank you so much are you ready to take your personal relational or business fulfillment to the next level with one-on-one personal support co-developed strategies and accountability scott and joshua have the tools compassion and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details.